0: You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. Good morning, Christ Walk Church. How's everybody doing today? Never a dull moment in the house, is there? My favorite thing, for those of you that that maybe weren't aware, right at 10 a.m., the fire alarms decided they were going to go off. And it's taken me five years, but I feel like I'm officially the pastor of the house because I just stood right there and I looked around and nobody moved. Everyone was like, pastor ain't scared, we ain't scared. Nobody evacuated. Nothing. Lights went down, fire alarms, you know, the whole emergency thing going on. Pastors, pastors Calm is, a, you know, the other side, or Cool is the other side of the pillow. And um, so we're just going to follow his lead. That was awesome. Uh, props to our production team. In five minutes flat, they had everything turned around and ready to go. That's what I'm talking about. We just roll with the punches. Sometimes stuff happens, but thank you guys for being flexible this morning. If you've got your Bible, you got a smart device, turn with me uh, or swipe with me to the New Testament. We're going to land in Paul's letter to the Philippians um, in chapter, chapter one of that letter. We'll be there in just a minute. Before we get there, I gotta know, have you ever been in a situation where you felt like you were doing all of the right things but still being punished? Anybody like, for example, we're in the middle of this Lent season and um, not only did I set some spiritual goals for Lent this year, um, but I also wanted to piggyback on those spiritual goals to help achieve some physical goals as well. And so part of my, my Lent fasting is I I chose to fast soft drinks and fast food. And um, I love fast food for the convenience you know, like just cause I'll get in the busyness of, of 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 work and family and everything, and it's just it's quick and you can run through and grab something. And um y'all know that like this this body is fueled by Mountain Dew. Um I, I love it. I love it for the for the taste. It just tastes good. Like the angels of heaven dipped their wings <laughs> into it. Um and but, but I also realized that those things were holding me back from, you know, a place of, of physical health. And, and so it was something that I wanted to surrender to the Lord um, during this season for, for spiritual purposes as well. And I even decided to start a few days early, piggybacking off of our last message series. I, I thought, well, if it's worth doing, then it's worth doing now, Right. So I started even a few days before the Lent season began, I cut out all the soft drinks, all the fast food, I upped my protein intake, I was drinking a gallon, started drinking a gallon or more of water every day. I hit the gym with more intensity than I have been here of late. I've even been going early in the mornings before work and just changed my whole routine four times a week, I'm in there and at the end of one week I'd gained three and a half pounds. And see, somebody said it. You said what I immediately thought. Well, it's gotta be muscle. It's not. I Googled it. You can't gain muscle that fast. I tried. But see, it's, it's situations and circumstances like that that lead us to ask that age-old question, why do bad things happen to good people, right? Right? No doubt you've experienced this sort of thing in, in your life before. You've done all the work, you've checked all the boxes, you've gone the extra mile, but at the end of the day, you haven't gotten the results that you expected and you're left asking why. Perhaps you've even thought to yourself before, if, if these are the results that I'm going to get for doing all of this, then why should I even bother, right? Right? And maybe some of you have even along the way decided to just throw in the towel and give up. So this morning, if you've ever felt like that, or perhaps if you're feeling like that right now, then this message is for you. Today, we're in part three of a series called Obstacle or Opportunity, where we're taking a look at a handful of stories from the Bible that will hopefully give us insights into how in the midst of life's difficulties, We can look past our problems and instead see the possibilities. And all of that begins with a thing called perspective. And perspective is simply a particular attitude toward or way of regarding something. It is a point of view. Perspective is based on how we see or how we look at something. And often our perspective is based on personal choice. And so the answer to that question of why do bad things happen to good people depends simply upon the perspective by which we choose to look at it. In regard to these types of issues rearing their ugly head in our lives, that great theologian Kelly Clarkson sang this What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Nick Vujicic, who is an Australian American born without arms or legs, who has become a, a world renowned speaker, New York Times bestselling author, coach, and entrepreneur, said it this way The greater the struggle, the more glorious triumph author c.s lewis revealed his perspective on this issue when in his work the problem of pain he wrote this we can ignore even pleasure but pain insists on being attended to god whispers to us in our pleasures speaks in our conscience but shouts in our pains It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. No doubt pain as God's megaphone is a terrible instrument. It may lead to final and unrepented rebellion, but it gives the only opportunity the bad man can have for amendment. It removes the veil. It plants the flag of truth within the fortress of the rebel soul. See, the way that I see it, when difficulty and adversity and undesirable circumstances come our way, you and I, we have three primary options. Most of us will choose to loathe those times. We will choose to loathe those situations and circumstances. Some of us will choose to learn from those situations and circumstances, but the best And the wisest among us will choose to leverage them. And that's what I want to talk about for a few minutes today. As we take a look at something that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. The Apostle Paul was certainly no stranger to adverse situations in his life. Once a persecutor of the early Christian church, prior to having a face to face experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus, which left Paul blind for three days, Paul had now become a missionary, traveling as far as Asia Minor to establish a number of Christian churches across the region. Learning that the church in Jerusalem was struggling under the oppression of the Roman Empire, Paul took up an offering to help assist them in their troubles. Knowing full well that the religious leaders of the day were out to get him, Paul insisted still on delivering the offering to Jerusalem himself. And while there, he was arrested and placed in jail, having his case heard in various courts of the area. Deciding to finally leverage his Roman citizenship, Paul requested that he be transferred to Rome for his case to be heard by Caesar. Then on the way, to Rome, the boat that Paul was on shipwrecked, leading to a three month delay in his arrival in Rome. Once he finally got there, Paul found himself under house arrest, awaiting for his trial before the emperor, not knowing if he would be allowed to live or would be sentenced to die. And so in that situation, Paul did what you and I would have done. And he chose to write four letters to four of the churches that he had helped establish. Naturally, that's what we would do, right? And one of those letters happens to be to the church in Philippi. And in the first chapter, we're gonna take a look at four shifts in perspective that you and I can learn from the Apostle Paul to help turn obstacles into opportunities. And the first one of those has to do with our testimony shift in perspective in reference to our testimony. So we'll pick up in Philippians chapter one. We're gonna begin in verse 12. Paul writes this, he says, and I want you to know my dear brothers and sisters that everything that has happened to me here has helped us spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. So here's the first perspective shift that Paul is teaching us, is that perspective shift number one is that bad things happen to good people, but God uses those things for an ultimate lasting good. Somerset Maugham, the English writer, once wrote a story about a janitor at St. Peter's Church in Neville Square in London. One day, a young vicar discovered that the janitor was illiterate and fired him. Jobless, the man invested his meager savings into a tiny tobacco shop where he prospered, bought another, expanded, and ended up with a chain of tobacco stores worth several hundred thousand dollars. One day, the man's banker said, you've done well for yourself being an illiterate. Where do you think you would be if you could read and write? Well, replied the man, I'd probably be the janitor at St. Peter's Church in Neville Square. (laughs) See, Paul was simply acting in faithful obedience to where God was leading him to go, which ultimately landed him in jail. And and when we read this and and we see the, the, the context of all of this, on the surface, it seems counterintuitive to us. Like, why would God move Paul from being a preacher to a prisoner? On the surface, that doesn't make sense. But it seems that, that, that Paul being in prison, that it would handcuff Paul's efforts, both literally and figuratively. But Paul's imprisonment here, it led to two important outcomes. First off, it provided him direct access to people who needed to hear the gospel message that he wouldn't have had access to otherwise. He would have been chained to a Roman guard in four-hour shifts, 24 hours a day around the clock. And so that meant that Paul had the undivided attention of six people that needed to know the loving, saving grace of Jesus Christ every single day. And so one by one by one, he began to lead them to Jesus. And I can't help but wonder what what unique situations are you and I in our lives that, that put us near to people that are far away from God. Maybe it's at school or at our jobs, Maybe it's in our neighborhoods or in a particular hobby that we participate in in some social club that we are a part of. But if we'll begin to look with a different perspective, we will see that there's some some areas, there's some things, there's some places that we're in. There's some people that we are around that we've been strategically placed there by the Lord to be able to point them in the direction of Jesus. The second thing that Paul's imprisonment served was as an inspiration to other believers to begin to to boldly or to continue to boldly share the gospel, even in the face of threats and adversity. Because they realized, well, if if Paul can risk imprisonment, then so can I. If he'll do it, then, then I will do it. It's what Paul writes about in in Romans 8.28, he says this, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. This is not just a New Testament issue. We see this playing out in the Old Testament as well in Genesis 50, Joseph speaking to his brothers, the ones that had, had sold him into slavery, which led to him being imprisoned and this, this life away from his family and all of these terrible things happening to him. But at the end, we see this great redemption that takes place. And he tells his brothers, he said, you intended to harm me but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. Perhaps you are in the position that you are in this morning because God is allowing you to be there so that you can save the lives of many people. See, what Paul didn't do is he didn't, complain about the things God wasn't doing. Instead, he chose to rejoice about the things that God was doing. That was his shift in perspective. He chose to view his prison as a platform to continue to advance the gospel. And that is what made all the difference. So I wonder, what area of your life have you been viewing as a prison that God has actually given you as a platform for you to share your testimony and to inspire people to follow after Jesus. This first perspective shift comes to us around the area of our testimony. The second perspective shift has to do with the area of the tension in our lives, the tension in our lives. Continuing on in Philippians 1, picking up in verse 15, Paul writes, it's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me for they know that I've been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely intending to make my chains more painful to me. Verse 18, but that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me and the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. Second perspective shift that Paul shows us is that bad things happen to good people but God uses those things to equip believers for deeper ministry. Bad things happen to good people, but God uses those things to equip believers for deeper ministry. There was a man that that found a cocoon of the emperor moth and took it home to watch it emerge. One day, a small opening appeared, and for several hours, the moth struggled but couldn't seem to force its body past a certain point. Deciding that something was wrong, the man took a pair of scissors and snipped the remaining bit of the cocoon open. The moth then emerged easily, its body large and swollen, the wings small and shriveled. He expected that in a few hours, the wings would spread out in their natural beauty, but they didn't. Instead of developing into a creature free to fly, the moth spent its life dragging around a swollen body with shriveled wings. The constricting cocoon and struggle necessary to pass through the tiny opening are God's way of forcing fluid from the body of the moth into its wings. The merciful snip from the man with scissors was in reality cruel. See, sometimes the struggle is exactly what we need. And I've discovered that, that there's, there's part of the human condition for us to have the desire to avoid tension at any cost. Like I've never in my life met anyone who loved for things to be tense all the time. in, in fact, we'll go to great lengths of various proportions to rid ourselves of tension. We'll turn to medications or drugs and alcohol or or sex or entertainment or stretching and massages or maybe retail therapy or hobbies and vacations or fill in the blank with X, Y, Z, all of these things in order to get rid of the tension that is in our lives. The only redeeming quality that we find for tension is the payoff when things finally get resolved. It's why we'll pay exorbitant prices at the movie theater and expose ourselves to the tension and suspense of a thriller for the payoff of the resolution at the end when we finally learn who done it, right? It's why some of us, if you were in the boat with me, it was, it was right before like online streaming was a thing. And where we could binge watch TV shows like episode after episode, you know, straight through. There was this show called Lost that took the world by storm. Six seasons, the first two of which were good. But we got to the point that because we were having parties and and people were coming over the house and we'd spent so much time every Wednesday evening after youth group coming over, we were so invested that we had to watch it until the end to see how it turned out. And the payoff was terrible. (laughs) It's why we'll subject ourselves to grueling workout sessions in the gym because we know that the resolution of the tension leads to greater health, stronger muscles, and a slimmer waistline. Paul, in the midst of the tension that he was facing where where literally other people were, were working against him to, although he was in prison, they wanted to pour it on. They wanted to make life even worse. He's recognizing that either way, whatever their motives are, that the gospel is being preached. So he recognized that as well. Rather than shying away from the tension, he leaned into it, he embraced it, and he even rejoiced in it because he knew that Jesus' name was being glorified. See, he knew the secret of what he writes about in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where he says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. It's the secret of James chapter one. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. It is the secret of Romans chapter five. We can rejoice too. When we run into problems and troubles, Trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation, and this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Could it be that all along God has not been disciplining us by allowing tension to be present in our lives, but rather he's been developing us for something greater that he has in store for us in the future. So rather than push away from the tension and try to avoid it this morning, let's let's instead lean into it and allow it to do its work in our lives so that God can bring about his perfect resolution in us perspective shift in our testimony a perspective shift in the tension of our lives the third perspective shift towards the trials that we face the trials that we face philippians 1 we continue with verse 20 paul writes for i fully expect and hope that i will never be ashamed but that i will continue to be bold for christ as i've been in the past and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. Perspective shift number three says, bad things happen to good people, but this world is not the end. Bad things happen to good people, but this world is not the end. The famous preacher D.L. Moody told about a Christian woman who was always bright, cheerful, and optimistic, even though she was confined to her room because of illness. She lived in an attic apartment on the fifth floor of an old, run-down building. And a friend decided to visit her one day and brought along another woman who happened to be a person of extravagant wealth. And since there was no elevator, the two ladies began the long climb Upward by the stairs when they reached the second floor the well-to-do woman commented what a dark and filthy place and her friend replied it's better higher up when they arrived at the third landing the remark was made things look even worse on this floor and again the reply it's better higher up the two women finally reached the attic level where they found the bedridden, bedridden saint of god A smile on her face radiated the joy that filled her heart. Although the room was clean and flowers were on the windowsill, the wealthy visitor could not get over the stark surroundings in which this woman lived. And she blurted out, it must be very difficult for you to live here like this. Without a moment's hesitation, the shut-in responded, it's better higher up. She wasn't looking at temporal things with the eye of faith fixed on the eternal, she had found the secret of true satisfaction and contentment. She knew the secret of 2 Corinthians chapter four, where Paul writes, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Maltby Babcock says it this way, life is what we are alive to. Life is what we are alive to. See, Paul had arrived at the place where the focal point of his life was Jesus. And for Paul, no matter if he lived or if he died, it was all about Jesus. Paul had discovered and tapped into what it truly meant to live for something more. And for those of us who want to follow in Paul's footsteps, We've got to realize that we are not living for the things that are in front of us. We are not striving for the things that are temporary and are one day going to pass away. Life is not about what happens to us in this seen realm. It is strictly a dress rehearsal for what is coming in the unseen realm. And I have it on good authority that for those of us who have placed our hope and our trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that the best is yet to come. Paul had come to the same realization as that shut in in the attic. It's better, higher up. And so he had resolved within himself that to live is Christ and to die is gain because he knew that at the point our lives in this earth come to an end, that that is the moment that we really begin to live. A shift in our testimony, a shift in the tensions, and a shift in our trials brings us to number four, a shift in perspective in regard to what triumph looks like. Continuing in Philippians 1, verse 27, Paul writes, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again, or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Verse 28, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have not been given, or you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. Perspective shift number four. Bad things happen to good people but the worst things happened to the best person. Bad things happen to good people, but the worst things happened to the best person. Tim Hansel writes, most of the Psalms were born in difficulty. Most of the epistles were written in prisons. Most of the greatest thoughts of the greatest thinkers of all time had to pass through the fire. Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress from Jail. Florence Nightingale, too ill to move from her bed, reorganized the hospitals of England. Semi-paralyzed and under the constant menace of apoplexy, Pasteur was tireless in his attack on disease. During the greater part of his life, American historian Francis Parkman suffered so acutely that he could not work for more than five minutes at a time. His eyesight was so wretched that he could scrawl only a few gigantic words on a manuscript yet he contrived to write 20 magnificent volumes of history. Sometimes it would seem that when God is about to make preeminent use of a man, he first puts him through the fire. See, we have to view our suffering in light of the cross. And, and when, we, when we make that shift in our perspective, and, and we begin to look at the difficulties and setbacks and hurdles and obstacles of this life through the lens of the cross, we quickly come to the place that we see that we're not fighting for a place of victory, we're fighting from a place of victory. That's the shift in perspective. It's what Peter wrote about in 1 Peter chapter 2, where he says, for God is pleased, When conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong, but if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. Verse 21, for God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned. Nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. You may be thinking, but Pastor Blake, I, I don't deserve punishment. I don't deserve the suffering that is coming my way, and, and you're right. And neither did Jesus. But he chose the suffering on our behalf so that we wouldn't have to fight for victory. We could fight from victory. And whoever told you along the way that, that following Christ was going to be all sunshine and rainbows and tra la 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 they were lying to you. Because not only is suffering inevitable, if we're going to pattern our lives after Christ, what we'll soon learn is that suffering is necessary. So if you find yourself in the midst of the fire today, take heart, be encouraged. Because it's likely that God is simply purifying you for the calling that he's placed on your life because in the pattern of those who came before us, those champions of faith and Jesus himself, we see that triumph is always born out of trouble. Romans five, six through eight. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. Though someone might be perhaps willing to die for a person who is especially good, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were sinners. Triumph is born out of trouble. While we were at our worst, God gave us his best so that we could give him our best when life is at its worst. Why do bad things happen to good people? The answer is simply a matter of perspective. Bad things happen to good people because God uses them for an ultimate and lasting good. Bad things happen to good people because God uses those things to equip his people for deeper ministry. Bad things happen to good people as a reminder to us that this world and all of its trappings is not the end. Bad things happen to good people because the worst things happen to the best person. Jesus said it best himself in John 16. Here on earth, you will, not may, not probably, not might, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Chris Vallotton puts it this way, there's no victory without a battle, no testimony without a test, and no miracle without an impossible situation. Whatever it is that you're going through right now, it's because God has you right where he wants you. In this moment, you are perfectly positioned for how God wants to reveal his glory in and through your life. The question is, will you choose to surrender to doing life his way? Will you choose to surrender to his will? Will you choose to surrender to following out his plan? Paul did, and by doing so, came to understand what it meant to truly live for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're watching with us this morning. You've never put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and savior. Maybe you can't make that statement that as you come to the realization that, that your life is futile and that one day your life on this earth is going to meet its end, you don't have the promise that that will be gained for you. It's as simple as putting your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's all it takes to have that guarantee, that same guarantee that Paul talks about, that my life is to be lived for Christ. Christ that when this life is over, I've gained everything. He could say that because he knew who his trust was in and he knew where his eternity was going to end up. You can know that too by placing your faith, your hope, your trust in Jesus today. If you'd like to do that, invite you to pray this prayer with me. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. Today, I choose to follow Jesus in his way for the rest of my life. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christwalk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.